This copyrighted podcast of the James Perspective has been paid for and funded by James M. Wilkerson. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast are a permutation and combination of words and sentences used in this podcast without the express written consent of James M. Wilkerson and the James Perspective is strictly prohibited. Sarah, but I don't hear Charlotte. Oh no! There's no Charlotte yeah, today. Yeah, there's an empty chair in front of me. And I, I've got to tell you, it's sad she's not here. Yep. Because she started venting about today's topic. Mm-hmm. I mean, venting. She does not like Steve Lee's multiple choice tests. Yeah, nobody likes those. <laughs> we're all sick of them, and that's what we're here for—an hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> we're just not going to do multiple choice. Yeah, we you know why I said you should never have multiple choice in law exams, mm-hmm. but. He never gives the right answer. <laughs> Which, what's the right answer? Which is like the least wrong yeah, If answer. you're going to be stuck on an island, you want to be stuck on there with AOC, Major Mar- Marjorie Tyler Greene, Kamala Harris, or Hillary Clinton. Which one would provide the most meat? Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. I didn't think of that. I would guess. I said Kamala because I could probably fool her into anything. <laughs> that's a good point. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, you I'll go look, gather this, Kamala. I'll stay here and guard things. You know. I, I looked for none of the above, and it wasn't there. And I looked for suicide, and it wasn't there. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that, that would be an easy option. Like once you get on an island, though. For our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, Steve Lee put out what was the question? Hey, he's been putting a bunch of bunch of them out there. That was the first one. The, the first question was if you had to get stuck on an island, deserted island. Who would you want to be? And, he, and the, the choices were AOC, Marjorie Taylor Greene, oh, uh, <laughs> Kamala Harris, or Hillary Clinton. Right. Well, you know, C's always a good answer. So I answered I support Kayaki. He said no, not in the no, not the not the not the answer bank, James. <laughs> All right. Well, we're here to talk about in my understanding, is Jonestown. Yes. Now, I don't see, I can't wait to hear what, well, you know what, Charlotte gave me a preview of what what it was, but I will let Sarah, is that Sarah presenting? Yes. Sarah is lead today. Yes, I am the lead. Um, yeah, and I guess like the, the main thing that I got from all of this is if the CIA wasn't involved in this, then they're embarrassed that they weren't. That's uh, that was my conclusion. Um, so, yeah, that like, and, and then I have like a few other things that um, I like just weird conclusions that really don't have anything to do with uh, the massacre. That's too what much, makes but, us love you. Yes, exactly. Well, um, I, I feel like the, the first part is going to be weird. Um, so it's the first part is starting with Jim Jones. Uh, it's his parents, and so like you always look to the family to see why somebody turned out that way and his you, father was george uh no it's james okay. yeah exactly it's you think about that um 
Yeah, so his mom was Lynetta Putnam Jones, and his father was James Thurman Jones. Um, his mom was born in 1904. Some people say 1902, but her grave says 1904, and I would go off the grave, I think. Um, and then the dad was born in 1887. So I think he was around... 40 or something whenever they got married and she was like 24 or something so which was not really unusual no it wasn't um and what's interesting is that both of them had blue eyes and um jim jones has brown eyes and it's like a one percent chance of that happened. like it's not impossible but it's a one percent chance i get that. i get what you're saying yeah potentially I, I think i don't know if i'm the only one who's saying that but uh you think he might be a little faster maybe i mean according like based on his mom and so uh what like i guess like during the time leading up to this the major event that has to be considered is world war one which that's what i was really excited about that um like i was able to get into world war one a little bit and into religion obviously uh for a little bit too but um his father was a world war one vet and he was actually in world war one before he met uh lynetta and he very, very unfortunately was in the trenches uh, in France and suffered a mustard gas attack. And that is absolutely, absolutely all. Do we know where in France was it? No. Uh, the, the records are really, uh, really bad on that. But um, so I didn't know how bad mustard gas was, but I saw some quotes from some nurses who treated a lot of different types of wounds in World War One, and they explained that um, gas burns must have been the most agonizing because um, they, like, the guys could not help but cry out whenever they had those burns, and those were the types of guys who wouldn't cry out for other types of wounds. And um, so anyway... He suffers from that and is sent back home. Um, and I like I actually did a lot of research into when he would have gotten there in, in World War One. And so he it, U.S. entered the world the war in um, 1917. He would have been about 30 years old, so he would have been older. And I'm, I I don't know if he was an officer or what was going on, but um, I would consider that to be old for the war. So he gets back. He was apparently born into a wealthy family. Um, but he couldn't work after the war and so his only income really came from mil military pensions and um, not good no not at all like and, and you think about like back then especially like, they weren't caring about taking that like they, they didn't really take care of that during being that didn't happen until after Vietnam whenever they realized that was an issue um, so he he worked he he met Lynetta whenever he was working road construction and um she was working at some kind of um big firm is what she called it and I think that it had she was like a secretary and it was some kind of glass and gas and electric company and I thoroughly dislike Lynetta I dislike her so much. That is a I'm just a cold grandiose narcissism. Um, oh. So yeah, she. It's interesting because you'll hear the opposite. I feel like whenever it comes to the family, where like the dad was like a deadbeat and he didn't care about his son, and you'll hear about like how he was abusive and stuff. But with his disabilities, he was constantly hospitalized and couldn't do anything. So it was like he couldn't have been abusive. Like at and all most, this was from the war. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was all from the war, and um. So, why did you dislike her? I'm about to get into that. 
Um, she, she, I think she was a grandiose, like she, she had grandiose narcissism, um, where she in her mind was cut out for incredible things. And I think like she lived in her own head of, um, how the, the world was supposed to work. And so, um, you, you could definitely see that in her writings later on. Like I read a lot of the stories that she wrote. I think that she was in Jonestown whenever she was writing them. So she was an older woman, but, um, may, may I just say yeah. this and see if I'm right on this. I, you know, that I've read a lot on narcissism mm-hmm. and, it's impossible really to happily live with a narcissist. I'm not going to let you do that. Now, the problem with a narcissist is that they can't be diet. They can be diagnosed, but they'll never accept the diagnosis. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. And so they, she, if she had these idea of the grandiose, what, um, Pat, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, structure of the world that she's supposed to do great things. You're not going to knock her off of it. Exactly. Okay. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, like, yeah. yeah. To to her dying day, she was um, like, I I, I uh, read an interview that she gave in 1977, which was the year that she died, and she still had these just fantastic ideas in her head about how life actually went, even right. though it didn't go that way. And so that was what was really interesting to me is whenever you actually hear about how. Um, Jim Jones was raised. They were raised in absolute poverty because he was born in, um, he was born, I think 1931 and that is right smack in the middle of the great depression. And so, or I guess like the beginning, like you think about it, like the 29 through 30, 39. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the family, uh, I'll, I'll get back to Lynetta in just a second, but I'll give some background on like how they were living. Um, they had a farm before the Great Depression, um, but the father couldn't pay the mortgages using the military pension, so they lost the farm, and his family kindly brought, bought um, them a shack. And I'm assuming they bought a shack because it was during the Great Depression where everything was just ridiculous. You couldn't get anything. So I don't think that had to do with like anything with them not wanting to help. Things were available. It was just some cash to buy them. Exactly. And so um, they were they were dirt poor. Um, and let's see. Let me say this real quick. Yeah. Well, you, you gather your thoughts, I guess. Yeah. Now, let, me, let me say this. I just watched that, that movie about uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. It was a highwayman or something like that. They, they they depict what she's talking about very very well. The banks were seizing everything because no one could pay. Mm-hmm. Well, no one was buying them either. So this family that that um, that one of the highwaymen was living, he was living in a seized house, but the bank couldn't sell it, and they let him stay there because. If there's anything bad it's it's a it's a vacant house oh, it'll collapse in yeah and so there's a sign in front of the house for sale owned by a bank and they just live in there <laughs> <laughs> might as well sounds like san francisco what today. are they gonna do like kick us out like yeah. we should be right back where we'd be yeah so the mom um did, she didn't like to work she didn't want to work and because in her head she was supposed to work marry a wealthy man and that's that that's not what turned out for her so it wasn't until her husband's family threatened to cut her off that she had to get a job so she starts working in a factory at that point she uh 
I'm sorry, my brain just like died. Oh, my, she was gone often. And she, so that kind of left Jim to run around as a kid throughout the neighborhood. Okay. So he was, he was basically just a, a stray dog that the women around the community would help take care of while his mom was out. Uh, and, and I guess like the reason why I wanted to go in that again, like they had no money and his neighbor described him as often unattended and covered his own feces. So it just shows mm. how bad it was. Um, so we're talking about a very young child. Yeah. Everyone. Extremely neglected. Yes. We have, yeah. we have making mm-hmm. a comment on narcissism. Yes. The higher the IQ you are with narcissism, the more likely you're going to be an overachiever. Mm-hmm. If you are very low IQ, the more likely you're going to become either insane or um, debilitatingly um, useless. Ah, interesting. I like that observation. So that, yeah, like that's what was going on. And it's interesting. We get like, this is why I don't like her. In her future writings, she wrote about that time as if she was this tough, sweet, working mom who had a fairy tale little boy who would run around the neighborhood and gather together a bunch of wild animals and they would all love each other. She and the animals, like she would take care of the animals. The animals would take care of them. And it was her horrible, horrible husband who didn't want pigeons to stay on their porch because they pooped everywhere. And, uh, and like, it was, it was interesting, like the way that she wrote about, um, I can't, I don't want to describe, I don't want to put a name to this, but there is a type of person who they'll get in confrontations and act like they said certain things that really put the other person in their place but they didn't. And you know, they didn't say that. And in a lot of her stories, she, that was a constant theme of people would try to tell her how to do things and she would snap back at them with some kind of clever comment. Yeah. Classic narcissist. Yeah, exactly. They live in another world. Yes. Well, yeah. My experience has been they, uh, if you are silent, they assume you're, um, agreeing with them. Mm-hmm. That's not uncommon for most people, yeah. but if they assume it at a level. Right. They're looking for confirmation of everything they do, and that would include birds. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, and, and what I thought was interesting about how um, how Jim Jones would later describe it was that it was his father who was horrible. So the mom, it seemed like she had this idea of she could be neglectful and abusive towards him, but later, but, but at the same time, it was only her that could do that. Other people couldn't put him down because that was her poor sweet baby boy. So she had, she had like the same goals for herself. Like she saw all of that incredible stuff that was going to happen. She saw that in his life too, but at the same time, she was kind of a jerk to him. To her own kid and again she was a neglectful parent and was described as not having any kind of motherly instinct at all so uh it seems like what happened is he had to deal with that as a kid and i'm assuming she probably put this into her head because they eventually i know that she had an affair at some point 
uh, that was whenever he was older. And that's why I'm, I'm thinking like, just based on who she is, she talked about how attractive she was. She was like, I looked like a China doll, but I was feisty like a tiger. And I was like, oh, I hate, I she hate. was Asian, right? No, 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 she was not. Uh, they were like some... Welsh and Irish. And okay. I think that she and Jim claimed that they had Indian in them, but Jim's father said, no, we don't. So who knows? Maybe, yeah, yeah. You know, mom had Indian in her, so to speak. Yeah, (laughs) but yeah. So that's uh, like, so she had in her head that that was gonna happen with him. Um, but she, I think that she was putting into maybe Jim said that it was his dad that was the problem the entire time. She would do that. Yeah. Everything seems classic so far. Yeah. Who diagnosed her? Nobody, me. Well, me, and I think the way that other people list, like, talk, talk about her, it was just like, there, there's something up with this woman. Like, it, it's just... You, their reality is so different from what really is there. It was wild to read the story. Yeah, and that's why I think sometimes when they put out a idea, they you just go... You can't fathom it. You can't process it because it's so damn crazy. Mm-hmm. And they say, yeah, see, I got them because they haven't, didn't say anything. Well, I mean, it's not, it'd be something like this too. If I went, let's suppose that you are a narcissist. And I said, hey, I went and talked to John Belton today. I, I saw John Belton on the street today. He said, hello. You would go back to your wife and James get ready to go work to the DA. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how crazy that's it how is. That's how narcissists yeah. are. They, mm-hmm. every, if, if, if that's what you wanted. Yeah. If you wanted me to be like, oh, I want my friend to be DA someday. He's gonna be DA. He's already he's getting ready to be an ADA. That's that's how they are. And so she, and then she sees it that way. Though. So she's gonna see everything Sarah's saying as true. She if she thought she was pretty, she, she looked in that mirror and she saw pretty. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even so, if she looked like she was from Balkanville. Yeah. <laughs> So at this point, again, uh, she finally gets a job at the factory and she's working. I don't know what's going on with the dad at the time because I really don't trust her and Jim's account on any of that. But they said that he would go hang out at the pool, um, the pool room or something. Pool hall. Yes, the pool hall. I think that some people say that he was an alcoholic, but that was during a dry period. Uh, like, you know, like, yeah, so, so it was a dry county. Yeah, but they, what they, they could still get it. Yeah. You got to understand the economics of that, Sarah, because mm-hmm. you couldn't get the legal stuff that was. Oh, it was worse. Yeah. You were going to get that stuff that the hillbillies were making and that mm-hmm. stuff was tough. So, you know, there were more, I think it's, I think that's a fact that there were just, you know, more alcoholics during prohibition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because of moonshine, basically. Right. right. And I guess. My thinking with this, and that was another thing. So people say that he's an alcoholic, and they also talk about how he was in the KKK. But you have to remember, he was born in 1887 to a Quaker family. He had very traditional white, I would say, white values at the time, probably. And it's like it's kind of funny too the way they describe him being in the KKK. He was again disabled. There was no way he was going out there and raising hell or doing. What state are we in? Indiana. Okay. Sorry, I should have. No, yeah. I, I just didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Myrtle's working. Jim's running around. He starts getting older. And uh, he, he becomes friends with the neighbor, Myrtle Kennedy. So she's very religious. And she gives him his first Bible. 
and he's she's the reason why he starts attending church services. So okay. because he's left alone so often all the time, he goes to several different church services throughout the week. And uh, I wrote, it was really funny. So whenever I first started like learning about him attending these services, for some reason in my head, I like, I've, I've, I was like, he probably didn't like the Catholics. So I wrote down, he must not have cared for the Catholics. And then later on, that was kind of proven. Uh, but he, he tended towards the apostolic Pentecostal church. And I, that was the second kind of thing. So I really got caught up in the World War II relationship, like between the mom and the dad kind of situation. Like, how can you blame a World War One vet who was gassed for not being able to work? And so now I was curious about the apostolic Pentecostal church because it was like, what's the apostolic from? I was like, there's no way they're, they're claiming an apostolic line and they're not claiming an apostolic line. They're saying that God was bypassing the old denominations and restoring pure apostolic truth and practice to the church during the last days before Christ returns. That's their position, I guess. I'm pretty sure that they're depicted an apostolic Pentecostal in... Um, What's that movie with Robert Duvall where he... The, the Prophet? The, wait, what was it called? That? The Apostle. The Apostle, yeah, it's called The Apostle. Yeah, it's called The Apostle. Wow. Um, I think that's what he was depicting. Yeah. So, and, and, and then I got, I kind of dove deep into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church, and I didn't realize that they were not Trinitarian, or at least these people weren't. Right, yeah. Which that's just crazy to me. The one, the oneness is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah the point. oneness, and then it's baptism in Jesus's name. And they said that the Trinitarian, uh, like beliefs, put Jesus down because he's in second place. So it was that was interesting to go through. Yeah. Hate to become in second place. Mm -hmm. So he starts. He, he really likes the Pentecostals, I guess, because of all the charisma that they had. And if you're, if your mom's grandiose and you're starting to feel that about yourself too, then it would make sense for you to go to a church where the pastor is just uplifted to the most. So he starts imitating the pastors at his local apostolic uh, Pentecostal church, but his mom doesn't like this. His family isn't religious at all. They don't go to service or anything like that. And I think his mom thought that she was smarter than religion. So she didn't like him going, but at the same time, she wasn't ever supervising him. So it's not like she could stop him. Uh, so... And, and like, this is the part too, where I kind of start to understand the dad, maybe a little bit more why he would be secluded from the family because his son was freaking weird. He was a weirdo. His wife seemed horrible and his son was weird. He was obsessed with death. He would hang out at a funeral home and like, I guess, observe the different funeral activities and decided he was going to recreate them for a roadkill. And the mom described this in her Road writings. Roadkill. Roadkill. Yes. Oh, that's Jim. Yeah, Jim. Jim Jones. Not Jim Jones. His dad. Not his dad. His dad was normal. I uh, know his dad was dis disabled. He was not having a good time. Okay. Yeah, Jim was doing that. Uh, yeah, no, I'm saying that I understand why the dad wouldn't want to be around his son. Okay. I'm saying like that, kid, that kid's freaking weird. It's like James yeah. don't want to be around Jim because Jim's getting weird. Yeah, yeah, Jim's weirdo. So yeah, so he would. Throw, and mom's protecting his weirdness. Exactly. Probably. Yeah. No, she. That again. Don't anybody. Other people. Yeah. Other people cannot treat him the way that she treats him. So she can. She can degrade him, but other people can't. 
the worst um the worst thing about this though was so it's i guess it was typically roadkill that he did but one neighbor said that he um slaughtered a cat with a knife to throw at a funeral so that's kind of insane behavior that you start seeing in kids Ooh, yes. that's a classic behavior of serial murder exactly that like that's what you that is what you look for you look for abusive parents which that's what i was initially looking for i was like what's going on with the parents are they abusive no um i mean like the mom she would spank him like i would say even she she was i think they said that she was like emotionally and verbally abusive but the most she would do is spank him so that's pretty most that is bad. Uh, no, I like spanking. Yeah, I think spanking. Yeah, I think spanking is fine. Hey, Charlotte, spank me, spank me. Ew. Okay. Please don't. Uh, no. okay. I, 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 I couldn't stop it's you. Also, it's awful. Awesome. It's awful. Awesome. It's awful. 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 He also broke his arm after jumping off a roof because he was determined that he could fly. And um, he, he frequently stole candy from some kind of store, but they knew it was him and the mom would have to go back and pay it, which, I mean, you know, that sucks for her. He, and then what was interesting to me, and this was, a, this was, I think this is the first thing that caught my attention to the mom, like how weird she was. And that's whenever I went and did all the other research on like, what the heck is up with this woman? He would often use profanity and just say horrible things to other kids. And he's a child still at this time. And so he would go do that, and the parents would go complain to the mom, and the mom would use profanity back to the parents. And Bite my F and A. Exactly. So she would do the same thing, and she thought it was funny. She thought it was funny to be a vulgar woman. And, uh, like saying spank me. Ex- exactly. So he, uh, and then like, these are some other things that just came up from him as a child. And these all build up to something that I thought was interesting. I'm going to go through them really quickly and then I'll go into that. But he stole a Bible when, from the Pentecostal church and said that he wrote, he, he smeared feces in Acts, like the, the, uh, that book of the Bible. He also, and this is whenever I, I was right about him not liking the Catholics, he claimed that he took the cup of holy water in a Catholic church and replaced it with his urine. And I don't know how true that is, but what the heck. And uh, he also, uh, he really was fascinated with the Kennedys or something like that and went and saw them for a summer. Like they were staying in some kind of town. So he went and stayed in the town. And for some reason, after he came back from that visit, he would go tell the other kids like this dirty sex talk. And you just gave an example, but, uh, it just like, just really dirty stuff. And again, the parents would complain and he would just get away with it. It was just like, so he was allowed to do that, but people didn't like him. People really didn't like him. He became like around that time. He became fascinated with Hitler, Stalin, Marx, Gandhi, and Mao. And he used to say Heil Hitler to his friends. And they had some, yeah, they had some, German prisoners of war that apparently came through at one point and he was sea kiling them. And uh, later on, whenever he was doing all the Jonestown stuff, he said, I was ready to kill by the, the end of third grade. I think it's because at that point he had so solidly established himself as an outcast that nobody wanted to hang out with him. He had no connections. His mom was insane. His dad was old. And, uh, yeah. Oh, he threw a rock at a kid who didn't want to watch him preach. 
again, like it's just stuff like that. The kid was like, nah, I'm not doing There's that. There's some signs there of problem. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So high school. Um, I wrote his high, his high school description. Sorry, I know we're going really slow. No, I just can't believe he did this all before high school. Yes, yeah. Uh, you mean you're in high school and you hadn't killed a cat yet? Anyway, yeah, let me get to that, that point really quickly. Is It's just crazy to me that they're saying, like, just, just how he was able to go from no literally nobody spent time with him as a kid. And it's the same thing with high school. You'll see nobody wanted to spend time with him. Yet he's able to convince eventually 900 people to kill themselves. So that is why it's like sort of. weird stuff, weird stuff. You got to think about that. So his high school description, I said, weird, killjoy, narc, dickhead, psychopath. Those are his descriptors. So he had a rule where he wouldn't speak to anybody unless he spoke to them first. He would chide other high school students for doing high school things like partying and doing a little bit of drinking sometimes and dancing and listening to music or whatever. This is the punk rock music and bad about his country. Exactly. He didn't like that. And he and he wouldn't just like look from afar and be like those dang kids. He would go tell them. Uh, he would always wear his Sunday best and he would always carry a Bible with him. And In high school? Uh-huh. Did he get beat up a lot? I I don't know. Like I didn't like that's the thing is that it seems like an abuse like abuse was weirdly lacking in his childhood. You know, well, like most people. Yeah. Well, South Carolina would be. Yeah, would would you have if the mother would have come and gotten your face? Hmm. Would you have if I don't know one way that you know this people will leave you alone is if you act so crazy. That's Perhaps, but I think if, if the boys would have done their job, he wouldn't have killed all those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to uh, Don't take this the wrong way, but some bullying is okay. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it bullying. Yeah. I would say straighten up. I mean, well, and, and like, again, the way that he gets weird. Code red. He gets weird. Yeah, and, like, it's it's weird to the point of, like, clearly nobody was stopping any of this. And you might have been afraid he's going to have retribution with an eye for a gun. Too. Oh, yeah, because that, that's, it doesn't end there with the weird animal stuff. Let me just say this. He would have got beaten up the South Carolina. Yeah. We'll just fight the risks. Yeah. He... <laughs> <Just> know that. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, he started getting into the whole, um, he wanted everybody to be treated as equals although i disagree with that actually but he put off the this message that and he wanted that there was no difference between blacks and whites oh racial racial equality yeah so he starts pushing for that very very strongly and comes up i think i don't know if it's a story or not i might it probably wasn't a story but i think that it might have been provoking or something like that but he knows his dad was born in the 1800s oh yeah i forgot about this too um like 25 percent of the population around this time was in the kkk or something like that so it was a hard a hard portion his dad had like he didn't like black people and at one point jim jones brought a black kid over and i think that was very wrong to do knowing that your dad was going to say no it's like i can hang out with you and and there's i think there's a difference between 
being friends with them and hanging out with them and trying to make a change in the way that your parents, like you can have conversations with them and stuff like that. And I don't know what was going on with them at the time. They didn't seem productive. And his way of resolving it was taking a black kid over to his house. And that would be knowing how his dad was going to react. And I think that was worse to the black kid because it was like, you had control over that situation and you could have just not brought him over. Like knowing my that it would have been comfortable. My dad won't like you. Exactly. It's just like, and I'm so I think that it'd be better for us to not hang out over here. So if you really cared for that kid, I think that it would be best not to put them in that spot. Unless the kid was like part of it and was like, yeah, let's go roll up your dad. But he did that. And it seemed like he was getting along with the, like some of the black kids in the area, even that, that, that kid, that area really didn't have a lot of black kids but they did have a basketball team and apparently that's where um some of them like he, he became friends with some of them but and he didn't play sports because he didn't like to lose so that says a lot about this freaking weirdo and uh so he's friends with these kids but he lost them as friends after he killed a dog in front of them by throwing it out of a window and that, that would do it for me freaking crazy person so, uh, that, like, that's the kind of stuff that was going on. He was still seen as a creep and nobody liked him. So that's just a big pattern of behavior of how did he become so charismatic later, later on, but he was very smart and he graduated early from high school with honors. Yeah. Uh, and then 1940, I think it was 1946 or something like that. He starts working in hospital. So he's out of high school and he goes to a hospital. Um, and that's where he meets his future wife, Marceline Baldwin. Um, I think that he stalked a girl before this all happened. And the parents were like, I think he got the parents to like him, but he was so weird to her and to her boyfriend. It's like Sarah Lou or something like that. He was so weird to both of them that the boyfriend, I think, confronted him and was like, stop. And he probably backed off. Yeah, he did. And so that's whenever he took over Marceline. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I'm not missing anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got this. Marceline was was trained to become a nurse. She was very religious. They were Methodist. And... She ended up liking him a lot. His parent, the parents did not like him. They thought he was a weirdo, like everybody else in the world. Uh, I think that he went to college for a little bit, but uh, it didn't really go anywhere until like later on. I think it was like a long time later that he actually graduated from anything. But 1951, he starts attending. I think. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I jumped forward. They married in 1949. So they met in 1948. Married in 1949, and he was emotionally and psychologically abusive towards her. Like he would play this. Like he would do this really weird thing. I don't think it was a joke. I think that it was a weird dependency thing. He would pretend like he got off the phone and go up to her and be like, "Honey, your dad just died." And then she would freak out and he would comfort her and then do that for a while. And then later on be like, your dad didn't die. So he would do that kind of stuff to her. Yeah. 1951. This is during McCarthyism. He starts attending communist party events. What year? 1951. Two years before Stalin dies. Hmm. He was probably very sad about that. 
so he starts attending those. I think he was around 21 years old. Or, I'm sorry, 20 years old. But he, he claimed, and this is where my theory of the government getting involved in his life comes into play. And I think, I'm, again, I'm making this up, so I haven't heard anybody else talk about this. But it's like, if you're trying to put this story together, that's where it makes the most sense. His mom claimed that she was approached by the government, I think she said the FBI, after one of the events that she attended with her son, which would honestly make sense because the whole McCarthyism thing was going on and they were paying close attention to these kind of meetings. So I wouldn't be surprised if the government started keeping an eye on them. Do you have any thoughts? I just didn't know McCarthy was that early. Yeah, it was like the 1940s to 50s. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that was kind of like that that sparks up where I think the government interest comes in, and I'm gonna jump out of his life really quickly. If that's okay. I'm, I'm good. Okay. Project Artichoke. 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 That's the CIA. It started in 1951, and it was freaking weird. It was right before M- MK Ultra. A precursor to MK Ultra. Yeah, but some people say that MK Ultra didn't take over. That part Project Artichoke just continued, and um, they were kind of separate things, but had similar goals. So that's where Scottsdale got that thing. That's honestly terrifying. I I would be scared of the Artichokes at that point if yeah. that's where they came up with their name. Scottsdale College, their their mascot is the Artichokes. <laughs> the Fighting Artichokes, yeah. The Fighting Artichokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I didn't know they were CIA. Yeah, and now that makes sense, and now it's like, okay, yeah, well, I don't want to mess with you. All right. There you go. <laughs> okay, so in their documents, they've actually opened up, like, uh, they declassified quite a few of them, but uh one of them stated, uh, it was like the it had like a point. Can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our biddings against his will and even against fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation? That's one of the things. And so they, they would use drugs in attempt to affect mind control. And the drugs started off with things like coke and marijuana and heroin, but they found that LSD was the most promising, even though I think that that kind of had mixed results because LSD is also extremely unpredictable. So, but it, it is the, like, it, it really freaks people out. So. The MK Ultra also continued the LSD connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, and as a use for mind control. One of the one of the documents, and I actually did read the full document. Uh, you can find it online. The some some team was presented with a task. It, it was a it was apparently a hypothetical, but the way they presented it at the end did not seem like a hypothetical. It was a yeah, we can try. We'll still try to take this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the CIA sought to establish control over the people it perceived to be weaker and less intelligent and wanted to see if they could make an assassination of like an assassination. Somebody, I'm sorry, I have to think about this. If they can make an assassin, that's what it's called, out of just some random person. Yeah. And uh, reading that hypothetical problem is insane. Oh, do you know about that, Glenn? That's a Manchurian candidate. Yeah, uh, that's... It is, yeah. That's where, that's where we get the... Manchurian candidate was based on that yes. original document. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's a, a January 22nd, 1954 document. 
And that was all of those, um, you know, the artichoke and there was bluebird and yes. uh, magic, uh, the MK Ultra. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they all had that, and that was their goal. So the question was, can an individual of blank, like redacted descent be made to perform an act of attempted assassination involuntarily under the influence of artichoke? And it kind of got more specific to where it was a, um, whether a 35 year old <laughs> of redacted descent, well-educated and proficient in English and well-established socially and politically could be turned into an unwilling assassin. That's measuring candidates. And it's, it's all of it. Specifically mentioned again, uh, uh, if necessary, an American official, like an assassin of one of those. And this report says simulated only, but the, in the, in the, like, so it goes through what the hypothetical would be, how they would like, what the problem would be. And the conclusion was that, uh, no, probably not because there were a lot of limitations on their interaction with this, uh, individual. It would have been like a one-time thing. They would have needed more control over them over time. And, uh, uh, that, yeah, like it, it was basically that, um, that like, I'm sorry, I'm just repeating myself over. They need more control over them. Uh, but at the end of it, they said that, uh, they would still be willing to try to carry it out. The team would undertake the problem in spite of the operational limits. So wow. you got you got this kind of go stuff going on from 1951, and that was 1954, and that's why I think that Art Artichoke had to have continued after MK Ultra because MK Ultra started in 1953. So people try to say that it it was replaced, but I don't think it was. Wow. Back to uh, this guy. He, what's his name? Jim Jones. So he started, so he and his wife are having problems because she's Methodist. He likes the Pentecostals. And I think he made a, uh, an agreement. It's kind of like you and mom where he would go to the, her church sometimes, but he would also go to his, his church. Uh, so you're just like Jim Jones. It's scary too. Cause I go to the, to the, uh, charismatic <laughs> church. Uh -oh. Yeah. I hadn't killed any cats. No. Yeah. Yes. Not, no, that we know not the way that you admit. Yeah. I have a cat that kills mice. So, okay. Well, do you dress the mice up and make them into dioramas? That's what I want to know. In 1952. Oh, I love that movie. I, <laughs> I love it. That. Yeah, it's um, Dinner with Schmox. Uh, go watch it after this. <laughs> okay. So, 1952, he gets a, a pastoral intern spot at Somerset Methodist Church. And... Uh, they eventually let him go two years later, and it's probably because he stole church funds, but he came up with the story uh -huh. that they just didn't like the blacks, and they didn't want to be racially integrated. And it's like, who freaking knows at this point? Because, like, again... I Yeah, exactly. And, and people are saying, like, people are saying that he's doing a lot of bad things, and then he just, uh, every time that that happens, it's like racism. That's what he throws at it. 
So the same year, he starts his own church, which is Community Unity, and it has a lot of socialist undertones. Uh, he's also around this time coming out that he actually is not a believer, and he, I think at one point, made his wife... Um, admit like against her will that she didn't believe in God too which is horrible because she was very religious before all of this uh, they would pick up he and his wife would go through the neighborhood and pick up uh, people from just canvassing and um, but he actively wanted to recruit black people into his church uh, so that was around 1954 in 1956 he realized that he could significantly um, pick up attendance by having a massive religious convention with other Pentecostal uh, pastors. And he uh, invited a, a nationally known evangelist, uh, I think his name was like Brenham, to draw in crowds. And uh, so he and Brennan were part of this. I think some other people did it. And I think his congregation rapidly grew at this point to regular attendance of 1,000. And I don't know what it was before this, but it seems like it was just small, tiny neighborhood canvassing. Nothing really mattered until this happened. Um, and these people went off into believing that people could become manifestations of God with supernatural natural gifts. And Brenham was just as freaking crazy, it seems like. But it was kind of funny because they eventually had problems between each other. Like, he and Brenham were really cool for a bit. But uh, Jim Jones starts prophesying Brenham's death, and that pissed off Brenham. And so they broke up. Yeah, it's just like the insane people. Um, And I think at that time, uh, Jim was continuing with his whole, like, narc thing where he would go to different restaurants and try to bait them into uh, refusing to serve black customers and stuff and try to catch all of that and then create conflict around it. Did he record it with a cell phone? <laughs> uh, and then in the 1960s, that's whenever he starts getting pretty nuts. And so I wanted well, to I put this... pretty nuts already. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about it's exponentially nutty. Yes. And so... I think that at this point is probably whenever Project Artichoke somehow got to him. And because uh, it went from just having a, a church and doing that kind of stuff to having visions of nuclear attacks and basically getting the people that go to his church to panic and stuff. Um, he would stage healing by uh and like i think that's how he he would gather people as well even though it's kind of weird everybody that i listened to about all of this they knew that the healings were fake a lot of the people that were close to him or like i guess i'm not even close to them like it was just a lot of people seem to realize like that that was the one thing that wasn't helping out as much as like him actually doing community outreach and helping other people but he would like get a chicken liver and pretend like he'd remove somebody's cancer and, and people would do it with stage like that yeah exactly and he would like get uh, his secretary to pretend like pretend like she was in a wheelchair and then have her walk and stuff 
Um, at this time, they were still in Indiana, but he starts thinking about this nuclear attack and read in some random magazine that South America was the place to be at during a nuclear attack. So he goes to visit Brazil for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he visits, I think he visited uh, Guyana and Brazil during that trip. Uh, and he was gone for a bit. How long was he gone for, Lynn? Do you know? A few years. Yeah, it was actually. a while. I, think it was... I didn't know Jim Jones lived in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And he had a pretty nice home he rented. And how did he rent it was a big question. Mm-hmm. You know, how did he afford to rent this home in we Brazil? church. Not at that time. Thousand people. Though. No, he didn't have the church then. Oh, Oh, so my, yeah, like, wait, wait, something I will say about this timeline is this is where it's the weirdest for me because I read an article by one of the guys that was working with Jim Jones and he would jump from like 1930s to 1960s to 1951. So yeah, that, that would make sense then. Uh, but he... The attendance um, started declining while he was gone, though, because another guy was keeping out, uh, like, uh, watching over it. So he returns to Indiana in 1963, and um, in 1965, like, they start looking for another place to relocate because he decides that Indiana is just not where it's at and that they're always going to be racist over there. So they start looking into moving to California. They moved to Redwood Valley, and I think 140 of his peoples moved with him. So that was, that was a good, a good number. Uh, a lot. Yeah. And he, uh, he became a high school teacher and what doesn't make sense to me is again. Yeah. That's, it's concerning. I'm very concerned about this. I was, I, yeah. Lacey wasn't a guidance counselor. (laughs) Yes, but he was, it was worse. He was a history and government teacher, history and government with a guy who likes Stalin and Marx and, and Hitler. So he taught Marxist ideas in his high school, apparently. I get the high school. Steve, I want a multiple choice exam on this part of the podcast. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think they got, so this is again, 65. He starts off with about 140 people. He gathers 50 new people within the first few months. And this is like California. So I guess the population is a little bit higher and stuff. Uh, by 1967, he convinced 75 old members from Indiana to move over to California. And then 1969, he had 300 members. <clears throat> That's your Charles Manson. Keep that in mind. Yes. Yeah. And MK Ultra was, you know, about the time of the Jesus Revolution. Mm-hmm. I'm listed. He, what? Well, okay. What's weird to me about all of this is that we've established that he's a very unlikable person. And I understand that he has the faith feelings, and I guess he's able to do this in community outreach and stuff like that. But. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me, like, those numbers of, like, how he's able to increase it that much whenever he's such a weird dickhead. Uh, And he was doing – I know that around this time, like, it was whenever he moved to California that he first starts using drugs. And so that would make sense – that you've got all of these weird CIA projects. You've got them connected to him back in 1951 based on his socialist beliefs. They got ties to this guy. They're keeping an eye on him. And they realize, oh, he wants to be some kind of like apostolic guy. And he does pick up smaller numbers at first. But uh, they see potential in him. 
to be the guy who could lead these people into that whole can we get control of them to the point of them doing bidding against like they're bidding against their own will um and he gets them to do that he's he gets just horrible horrible with these people um he starts rejecting the bible he says the sky god isn't real and you have to think about this all of these people came to them a lot of them were already religious and so he gets them to start rejecting their own faith and saying that god isn't real and there's no god besides jim jones and if you're born in socialism you're not born in sin that was one of his lines um Say it again. So if you're born into socialism you're not born into sin so he's just teaching his socialist ideas he's teaching that god isn't real uh he's um he was he was there to enlighten those drugged up with the opiate of religion and the enlightenment was through socialism uh and again he's have like he starts heavily abusing drugs and during this time it's not like he's being this wonderful guy to all of these people yeah like it's kind of like a vita where oh i have an electricity bill problem and it's like okay i'll throw a little bit of money at you but overall um he's doing worse things so he starts controlling their sex lives uh he's controlling who can get married and who can't he's coercing abortions um he's decided that everyone is gay except for him sounds that, like a combination of timothy o, timothy leary and manson just crazy well yeah what did timothy leary and manson have in common lsd okay man yeah. you're doing a good job sarah thank you well, keep going he did it himself he starts requiring sexual favors oh, wait, that's the thing. he told everybody they have to be abstinent but he wasn't abstinent and he would require women to sexually pressure him. He would rape men. He, one time, there's a guy who describes, I'm sorry, I have to get into this a little bit. I mean, not, not too long, but he, at one point was, there's a new guy that starts attending and he puts his hand around the guy's neck and says, I'll, um, I will have sexual intercourse with your hole if you want it. And the guy was like, what are you talking about? And that's whenever, again, like he's going through this whole, everybody's gay except for me. And during the middle of one of his talks, he says, Hey guys, I know y'all want me to do this like to you. So if you want me to do this dirty thing to you, you got to get an enema first. And then he's like, every, all guys raise your hand if I've had sex with you. And all these guys start raising their hand. And there's a, there's a guy that was explaining this happening. And he was like looking around and he was thinking, I'm married very happily to a woman. I like her a lot. And he was like, I'm not into all of this. And he still can, he kept going. So it's just like, it made no sense that he was, he was treating people awfully. He would keep them up for like days at a time, making them work and, uh, punishing them. He would reduce, like, out of punishment, he would reduce food. He, like, their, their food rations. He would uh, imp- implement harsher work schedules. Was This was on the island when he was in Guyana? Not yet. No. Not yet. We're not even there yet, which we're is just, we're, insane. We're, we're in California. We're in California. Oh, San Francisco. Yeah. That's a step up. Yeah. Uh, he would publicly really ridicule them and even implement physical violence. And you think about the stuff that he was doing with his wife before all of this. He was horrible to her. And he was doing the same thing to all these other people. And despite 
all of this horrible behavior that was very open. Like at one point, a woman described this. Women liked him a lot. For some reason, they were drawn to this guy. And one woman was trying to pass some love notes. Another woman caught it. And she starts making fun of that woman. He doesn't want to have sex with you. He doesn't want to do this and that. And uh, at some point, it turns into a weird pissing contest of making that woman strip nude in front of the entire congregation. And they all start making fun of her. And it's like, what the hell is happening? What is happening? And membership is growing. Does happen at your Catholic church? Honestly, if that does happen, it's I've been there for a year and I haven't seen it yet. I guess they're a little bit smarter about it. They do it over time. <laughs> Ladies that's and like, gentlemen, I'm, tired. Like, I'm sorry. I apologize for that interaction right now. He, he stopped. So in 1973, it was 2,570 members. <sighs> yeah, but that's why, again, the Catholic Church is better because we have millions across the world, so we know how to implement it a bit better. I'm just kidding. I'm so <laughs> I sorry. Know, I know. Yeah, obviously. Kidding, kidding. obviously. Yeah. But, but so, I, I mean, I mean the obvious, what we're saying is that it, that it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. But, but so basically, a rite of initiation to that church was that he got to, oh, fudge. <laughs> so to speak. Disgusting. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Now, this was an interesting thing is that they had a newsletter and there were 36,000 people subscribed to that new newsletter. Well, first of all, you can't, I don't know if I trust those numbers, but second of all, even if they did have that many subscribers, I'd probably subscribe to it because it's okay. like, this is funny. Yeah, <sighs> what I, here's the thing I will say though, newsletters at that time are not like newsletters now. Mm. These had to be mailed. Yep. You had to open and read them. Yeah, and, and were, there was more resistance to doing that. No, yeah. And no word, process, no word processing. Mm -hmm. Type it. Oh, mm -hmm. That's a lot. So you got to think about that. Yeah, you could copy and memory graph it. I think they called it, uh, which those were very expensive machines at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, it, this was pre Xerox. What did that stuff smell good? It did. Yeah. You get what they would do is they would, it would be like they call it carbon copy, really, but it was a, and it would go to this wheel thing mm -hmm. and would throw out copies well if the teacher would immediately hand them out to you smell them and uh, get a little high get a little, you know, little high. buzz baby yeah and everybody wanted, trying to get high never made me want to have Jim Jones in me though. that was like sniffing glue before sniffing glue happened yeah, yeah. okay uh so 1970 early 1970s is whenever he starts getting bad press People start talking about how his healings are BS. But again, people that people that were going to those church already knew that the healings were like crap. They like they would see those people be totally fine, and then the next day, oh, I have this debilitating disease, and then he would put his hand over it. And it's like, okay, we all know it's fake. Uh, so he starts getting that, and then there is an inve investigation by the Indiana State Psychology Board over his healing practices, and there is another investigation in 73, so it was 1971, 1972, 1973, three different investigations. Uh, and in 1973, this is where it gets weird. So you talk oh, about- It's not getting weird. <laughs> it's been weird. It gets real weird, well, James. It's, it's, you know what's also weird is that he's politically connected at this point, too. And so the reason that they said he could have this politically connection uh, is because he could get a few thousand people to your event. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So he, he could get them to show up. Uh, I think that, what was Jimmy Carter's wife's name? 
Rosalind. She she introduced like she, I guess she like introduced him publicly. Like they had some kind of event where they did something together. Yeah. 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 And he that got covered up pretty quick right after the whole event. But, he got yeah. more applause than she did. Whoa. Yeah. Bro. Because his followers. Because were there. his followers. Yeah. Uh, which thank you CIA. We'll get into that in a minute. But yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so. In 1973, he's arrested for masturbating in front of an undercover cop in a movie theater bathroom. And it's dismissed for no reason. He also sat on the board of the uh, San Francisco Police Department on one of their commissions. Wait, let me back up here. What's illegal about that? Masturbating in front of a male cop in a public bathroom? At the time, it was illegal. Yeah, I can't see that being illegal. Really? Well, stop that. Well, how is that illegal? He wanted it, right? It was two, two, two consenting adults? I don't know. I don't Okay. Well, I guess maybe. That was an indecency charge back then, right? In a bathroom? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think like so. I would think it's not yeah, illegal it's today. I would think it's sicko. I would think that it's weird. It's not illegal today. If it's in a public bathroom, you're not like, even if it is consensual, you can't have sex in a public bathroom. They, they did on, on Scarface. You can't. Okay. It's not legal. And so that's kind of what was going on. I understand that, like, maybe the cop coerced him into it or whatever, but he's still, di- he's still disgusting. And he wasn't acting like a preacher. And you think about this, even if that was the case, like, the, like we don't like that. Okay. I got you. Other people would have gotten prosecuted for it. He didn't. It was dismissed. The file was sealed, and the judge ordered that all records pertaining to that matter be destroyed. So he was very, again, connected. Okay. 1973, like October, we're moving to Guyana is what he claims to everybody. We're doing this. Uh, summer of 1974, they've secured all of the materials for it, and the construction in Guyana begins. And the reason he does that is he has to get them away from all this extremely negative press that's basically... And there was reports that he had visions of nuclear holocaust, mm-hmm. and Guyana was, of course, the best place uh, to be. Yeah, so he's the one. That, yeah, he, that, that goes back to all the nuclear stuff too. So he's a he has all of these crazy ideas of the world's about to end, and Guyana is the only place that's safe. Uh, Nineteen. Okay, so summer of nineteen seventy four, construction begins. And just a few months later, the first group arrives to Guyana. So this is happening really quickly. You really think about it. And again, that just shows the resources he had. Um, He had $10 million in assets at around this time. And that was in that day's money, not today's money. Wow. Yes. Uh, so 1974, first group, 1977, he had about 57 settlers living there total. Uh, the facilities could only support 200 people, but my, by like later in 1977, he had 600 move in and then an additional 400 later that year within the next few months. So you got, that's where you get over 900 people living in Guyana together. I don't know how he convinced these people to do that whenever he's publicly humiliating them all the time and stuff like this. A woman described what it was like to live there. They would work six days a week from 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. And after work, they would have to attend several hours of activities. And... Yeah, and so that would include, like, socialism classes and him doing rants about all of this crazy stuff. 
uh, the he had supposedly he had uh, loudspeakers mm -hmm. all over the camp, yeah. and there were reports that they would twenty four seven. He would be there would be recordings or him preaching over those like in nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Um, the people would be forced to eat rice for breakfast, rice water soup for lunch, rice and beans for dinner. On Sundays, they would get an egg and a cookie, and two to three times a week would sometimes like they would receive vegetables. And out of the kindness of his heart and his ten million dollars, he would uh, Jim Jones would some like would give the weak and elderly an egg a day in addition to their rice. Uh, and then, uh, this is shocking, but Jim Jones did not look that way. He said, I have blood pressure issues, so I need to eat more healthily. Um, Just a quick FYI, if you were to put that in 19, uh, 2024 dollars, $10 million would be 81 million. Oh my God. Oh, Take a while to burn through that. He has a ton of money. Yes. Okay. Freaking A. White night time. Uh, these were drills to test his people's readiness. Sorry, I'm flying through this, but I just, I yeah, feel like you, you, no, not even that. I feel like you can find this anywhere. Right. Like this is all the main stuff. Uh, he would get on the speaker system in the middle of the night, say alert, alert, alert. Everybody had to go to the, the group pavilion and he would say that there are government agents out in the jungle and they're ready to attack us. And the only way that we can not like have them not attack us is if we sing and we pray and we chant and that'll ward them off. Uh, and he would have his guards out in the jungle and they would occasionally like, fire shots off and stuff to freak out the people. So they were all terrified and they would like, these would last from hours to sometimes even days. So the longest this lasted with them doing this white night, which I guess it was white days was uh, six days. Wow. So he would always keep the people fearful. He'd tell them that they couldn't leave because these were the most dangerous jungles, which I mean, like that probably is true. Like I remember whenever I was in Peru, we weren't allowed to leave our the vicinity of the little area that we're staying in in the jungle. They were like, if you walk even like a step out of here, you can get lost. And there are a lot of like animals just always there, even little bugs that are willing to kill you. Like they're ready to go. So I didn't understand that a little bit, but at the same time. Um, so the embassy would check on them occasionally, and that's where it gets kind of weird too. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and mention his name, Richard Dwyer. He was the embassy guy. He was the deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy in Guyana. Uh, his whole story is really weird, but he Didn't was... He also... Wasn't he associated with a friend that he made in Indianapolis as a young preacher? Um trying to see his name. Anyway, there was and apparently... Dan Mentori was that involved yeah. with the CIA office there. Oh, really? And, yeah. And he was there in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know. so they had it, and they did have a CIA uh, station at Georgetown, which is like extremely close to where this is happening. Oh, really? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, in 1978 was the first time he, oh, his mom died in 1977. There's a lot of people were really trying to get information on her like before she died, like at the community. So there's like a lot of interviews and stuff that you can see of her. Uh, 1978 was their first fake Kool-Aid. I should say Flavor-Aid. Flavor-Aid. Flavor-Aid suicide attempt, like attempt. We don't want to mis uh, mischaracterize the um, 
yeah, the, 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 company. the company. So this reminded me of whenever he would do that whole thing with his wife and pretend like her family members had died. Uh, he made them give the drink, like the juice and stuff to them, their kids and then themselves. And then he was like, y'all are dry, dying in 45 minutes. And then you basically get on the speaker and console them for 45 minutes and tell them you have to accept your death. This is the only way to go. We must go to the next plane and it's going to be a peaceful experience and stuff like that. And then after 45 minutes, you'd be like, haha, just kidding. It's fake. But it was, yeah. So crazy stuff. And then that's, he, he, he started selling this revenue revolutionary suicide uh story to them to the point of them accepting it and so they even had a vote one time do you all want to do a revolutionary suicide the vote passed and it was another fake but it was he said later on it's a loyalty test uh, so at this point, people are literally, if we go back to the language from part, Project Artichoke, they're going against the fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation, willing to kill their own children. Now, this was not everybody at Jonestown. Yes, there was uh, Christine. I'll try to get into her just for a little bit soon. Uh, and then he would constantly play sermons and music day and night. Before I knew that I was doing this podcast, I actually watched a video about some of the people that escaped last week. And they, the people that did finally say, we have enough of this and we want to go, they were like, I can't tell you how much I wanted to just destroy those speakers because they were always playing. We were just trying to work in the stupid form and the sermons wouldn't shut up. And the music was really creepy. If you listen to the recordings, horrible music. Like going to Lowe's? No. Uh, this was like, it was like depressing, like funeral music. Ha 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 ha. And it's not, you know, you, you're thinking it's some speaker on a wall. No, these were towers mm -hmm. with uh, the, what I would, you know, um, what the government puts up to alert us to, gosh, they're big sirens. You know, they're not small. They're the, the kind that they use for tornadoes. They're yeah, blasting. tornadoes. They're yeah. blasting these sermons. Yeah. And throughout all of this time and up to his death, he's abusing Valium, Quaaludes, stimulants, and barbiturates, and the amount of that stuff that they had at Jonestown was insane. Like they had a stockpile of all of this stuff so that they were able to find afterwards. Uppers and downers. Yes. Um, I need to slightly jump back. Uh, 1976 is whenever they start ordering shipments of cyanide. So it was half a pound shipments monthly. And the way that he was able to get it was through a jeweler's license that he obtained. He said, I need cyanide to clean my gold watches and stuff like that. All right. So let me tell you what's going on in the minds of Americans right then. Mm -hmm. Watergate just happened. Mm -hmm. There was, they thought that it was a collusion to get forward, perhaps Rockefeller into the presidency. Jimmy Carter wins. There's gas lines. There's, 21% interest uh, prime rate, stuff like that. Uh, at least either that, it was either prime rate or it was inflation rate. No, that was the prime rate. Prime rate. And the, and the nation literally thought it was about to collapse, that the United States was. So that's their minds. Your minds were not on. Americans' minds were not on Jim Jones. If you would have said, oh, a whole bunch of cyanides being sent to some people in Guyana, you'd go, you would have just dismissed it. You would have looked at a Wall Street Journal article and moved on. Yeah, kind so, of interesting. 
that we had this happen right then. Mm -hmm. This is also what's interesting is that MK Ultra was supposed to have ended in 1973, and that's the same year that he decided they were going to move to Guyana. Wow. And it was 1977 that MK Ultra came out that they found out about it. And, and so you have all these people who hmm? when he was in Brazil, um, the CIA issued him an additional passport. Yeah. But what they never explained that by the way. What I think is interesting is that he like it seems like they moved him to a place where the like at least we saw these people they're still following him and that we can finish out you. this experiment with them out having no access to any kind of like potential like FOIA or stuff that goes on later on. Yeah. And they were also building a quite extensive hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to get into, so that's what's kind of building up at this point. I'm going to get into Congressman Ryan. He was the uh, guy who was like one of the main guys that, well, he's the reason why they went down to Guyana. The U.S. realizes weird stuff's going on down there and we got to check it out. Uh, but it's not the U.S. It's really just this congressman. And so I checked into this congressman because I thought that was really interesting why he would do that. And... He is the type that will get his hands dirty to figure out something that's bad going on. Uh, he, okay, so back whenever he was, I think he's, I think he's from California. Yeah, he is. Uh, he had himself arrested, detained, and strip searched to investigate conditions in California prisons. So it was undercover. And another thing that he did undercover was he stayed in Folsom State Prison for 10 days as an inmate. Uh, while presiding as a chairman overseeing pre prison reform. So those are things. Uh, later on, he gets into Congress. Oh, yeah, I think it was before, sorry, it was before he went to Congress, he wanted to monitor education credentials in California, so he set up a uh, commission to monitor those uh, things. So he's very deep into, we're getting to the bones of this to figure out what's going on, like at the lower levels where everything matters. So he gets in, um, he has a friend who is a former member of People's Temple. And uh, this friend was killed, weirdly, in October of 1976. And they found his mutilated body by a railroad track. And so I think that was one of the things that kind of initially sparked his interest in these people. Um, but in Congress, he... Um, this is MK Ultra now, right? That railroad track thing, right? Well, it does 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 remind you of the uh, other one, the boys. What do we call that? The boys. Yeah, they, they on that. the on the train or tracks. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like okay. we did, we did podcast about that, but uh, yeah, it was it was weird. It was a sketchy death. Like it was clearly a murder, and he he recognized that. Um, but he, what he was most famous for before this was vocal criticism of the lack of congressional oversight of the CIA. And uh, he co-authored the Hughes-Ryan Amendment. It was passed, and that the purpose of that 
uh, whole act or whatever was addressing questions of CIA covert actions. It was aimed at prohibiting the use of appropriated funds for conduct of such actions unless and until the president issued an official finding that each such operation was important to national security and they had the, the CIA was uh, required to submit that finding to the appropriate congressional committee. So it's uh, trying to keep tabs with what the heck is going on with the CIA. Um, Before that, I believe that the CIA not only didn't have to report anything, but they only, if they did, it was just presidential. Yes. And so at that point, you can tell he was probably pissing off the CIA. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, He's like O'Keefe or something. Or is that a, was that guy that goes undercover all the time? Oh, yeah. James O'Keefe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he has people go undercover. He's right. too well known. So the first thing that caught his attention with the um, with the People's Temple was I don't even said that name. They're the People's Temple. They went from the community union to the People's Temple. Um, another thing that caught his attention was there was a really weird custody dispute. So uh, it was a kid named John. I think his dad lived in California and his mom was a People's Temple member, and they basically kidnapped the child to prevent the dad from having any kind of custody. And it was a very big problem but he tried to figure out what the hell was going on so at that point his interest is peaked and he reaches out to the u.s department of state and i'm pretty sure that's who that guy that i talked about earlier richard dwyer was connected to uh was the department of state and they he was like what's going on in jonestown and they repeatedly told him don't worry about it everything's fine down there so they're saying, don't look into it. It's not a big deal. Uh, but more people, I guess they, people realized that he was looking into people simple and he had more families reach out to them. And he said, I'm going down there. Uh, let's see. In November of 1978, he travels down um, with 17 relatives of the people simple members, family, like, yeah, their relatives. And then a lot of news reporter, and then there was an uh, NBC team that went down there as well. Uh, this was weird. They had hotel conversation, uh, like reservations, but something like even after confirming those reservations, something messed them up to where they didn't have any rooms. So he just said, "Okay, I'm staying in the lobby. Like we're not leaving. I'm staying in the lobby." So it seemed like they were not welcome in that area. Uh, And then November 17th, that was four days after their arrival in Guyana, he visits Jonestown. Um, And it's what what they call an entourage of people. Uh, He, during that time, like the the first part of it, every single thing seems to be going really smoothly. But an NBC reporter was mistaken for the congressman and somebody gave him a note and it said, Vernon Godney and Monica Bagsby, colon, please help us get out of Jonestown. And so the, the reporter passes along that message to Ryan, but somehow Jim Jones finds out too. And uh, that's really weird to me. And so part of the group was Dwyer. And I'm wondering if Dwyer had some kind of ability to relay to Jim Jones that this is, hey, these people know now. Um they they stayed the night it was so some people stayed the night some people left i think that jonestown required certain people to leave but the people that stayed were ryan his assistant and dwyer uh and then the next day they continued some interviews 
um, I think 14 actual defectors and one fake defector decided they wanted to leave and Ryan said, yeah, let's go. Uh, although he was trying to stay another night, but everybody else was like, no, we have to leave. So he was like, okay, I'll yeah, come with us. Yeah, we went out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, while they were leaving, somebody tried to attack Ryan with a knife, freaking assassins, but he failed. Uh, and so Dwyer at that time forces Ryan to leave, but promised because like after that knife attack, it's like, okay, well, there's something really crazy going down here. It's your job, Richard Dwyer, to take care of it. You said that everything's fine here. It's clearly not. And so Dwyer just pushes him out, get the heck out of here, go to that airstrip and I'll take care of it later. Uh, so they get to the airstrip and that's whenever the attack happens, um, several people die and that includes Ryan. And, um, it started off, it was an ambush where one, the fake defector, he killed Ryan and some other people. And then there was like another truck of people that came and they killed, uh, the, like some kids and a mom and stuff like that. It was very, very bad. And the reporters. I didn't know about this. Yeah. They, oh, you did It was a, a truck that came with the guys with guns, mm-hmm. which just kind of mopped up but what she said they you know the defector wow yeah um and then while that was going on at the airstrip like they were going over there and stuff that's whenever jim jones starts his um his death tape and you can find that online don't watch it before bed it i i couldn't sleep that night Welcome to the hotel, Deanna. Mm. Uh, so I took, I did, I listened to the full thing and I took notes on it. And I thought it was interesting because you could tell how messed up these people staying there were. Like their brains just weren't working. Because you have the one woman who, uh, really was trying to stop it and try to put sense in it into them she even did not know like she 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 lacked a a, a grip on reality uh her name was christine and uh i wrote she was a brave chick she was like the only one who, who stood up at this point whenever he starts doing the hey guys it's time to start drinking this this cyanide get your kool-aid cup i'm sorry flavor aid cups um she said like she had some really good quotes she said as long as there's life there's hope and then she said uh look at all the babies and i think they deserve to live and when we destroy ourselves we're defeated and um so she like she's having a back and forth with uh jim jones for a while and he's talking nonsense and she's just all the time they're drinking yeah, so you can oh you could hear the children. You can hear the children in the background. What are they doing? Crying. Because oh. their parents have already started giving them cyanide. Oh. And cyanide is a horrible, 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 horrible death. Horrible death. Um so they start in and what they did with the kids is they would put cyanide in syringes without the needles and just force it down the kid's throat. Yeah. Uh so Jim, also there was autopsies afterwards of the nine hundred dead. Um and there was reports of 700 head uh, needle, mark. needle marks on their shoulder blade where they couldn't have reached themselves because they apparently didn't want to drink the Kool-Aid as it, or the flavor aid yeah. as it was. Well, they were calling it Kool-Aid. You call it Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. And they, uh, uh, they, you know, so not everybody just drank the Kool-Aid, if you know what I mean. So 
he's having a conversation with Christine about all of that. And it was really interesting because at the end of the conversation, Christine's trying to use as much uh, rationality as possible here. She talks about the kids and everything. And Jim Jones saying, no, like it's better for the kids. Just tell the kids that it's not death. It's just stepping over into a different plane and stuff like that. Well, Christine starts going off into Russia. And I was like, what the hell is happening here? He's convinced them that they have a second people's temple or some kind of group over there that they're connected to. And that he's, he's apparently brought this up, I guess, during the time that they were living in Guyana. Uh, that there's a possibility of getting a plane and moving over to Russia. And she starts talking about, um, can't we all just get in a plane and go to Russia? Like instead of, because Jim Jones is saying like, no, everything's over now. Like the congressman's dead. Um, All this stuff has happened. They're going to come after us next. They're going to kill and torture your kids and stuff like that. You need to kill your kids. And she was like, let's go to Russia. And it just shows like even the most rational person had no idea that the Russian thing was just BS. Just BS. Yeah. Uh, And then like after she stops talking, basically it just turns into kids crying and Jim Jones telling them um, awful, horrible things like uh, children. It's just, it's something to put you to rest. And, um, this asshole of a woman told them that it doesn't hurt them and stuff like that. And, um, gosh, I wish I, I wish I could find her name cause I hate her so much. Um, but yeah, it, it, so it was like a very long time of all that happening. And despite everybody, it takes about, um, depending on what the dose is, it takes five to 20 minutes to die from cyanide. It it's, miserable the entire way through i did not know that see i've always pictured them fall asleep no no it's a horrible thing yeah um yeah thank you for making me aware of this yes um (laughs) sorry about that uh and so um the bastard kills himself through um a gunshot to the head instead of drinking and there is some speculation that he wasn't self-inflicted. Mm. He was suicided. Suicided by the CIA. Yeah. So, and that's where this gets interesting because randomly, in the middle of him going off into his whole death thing, um, he they find out the congressman's dead. They realize that it's not going to be long before somebody shows up, like some kind of government. Right. And it that's whenever I always wonder why I did it. Mm-hmm, he says during this and I actually found it and I was like oh my god he actually said this get Dwyer out of here before something happens to him so Dwyer is that guy they kept on mentioning he was the mission person for like chief of mission for chief uh, deputy chief of mission at US Embassy in Guyana yeah so he's the one that's supposed to be keeping an eye on these people and uh, according to him and other reports or whatever he was at the airstrip and got injured there but I looked at all the records, you can find it, of all the people that died in Guyana that day and like the different people that were present and stuff like that. And he was not on that list. And so, and like, I can't find anything about a Dwyer. Did he disappear after that? No, it's not that. It's that 
he seemed to have been okay so there's like conflicting stories of was he at the airstrip or was he there he wasn't i don't think he died there i think that they were keeping you protected because he said uh jim jones said get wire out of here before something happens to him and then later on it seemed like they weren't doing that yet and he said take dwyer um on down to the east house take dwyer i'm not talking about urijah i said dwyer uh yeah he corrected himself yeah so he's very clear that there's a dwyer person and there's just no records of any other dwyer being here except for that richard dwyer guy and richard's just like no i was at the airstrip and i was injured and stuff there but how is he all of a sudden in georgetown yeah and i'm sorry not georgetown so I think that that's kind of like one of those sketchy things. Like there's a lot of small sketchy things that build up into like what the hell is what going is, on. Well, I, well, I don't. It's still the story on the gap here. Does he live? Dwyer makes it back here. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. Does yeah. he ever go to jail? Mm-hmm. No. No. He just kind of just. Why would he? Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so anyway, is uh, and and if we go into so 909 people died in Jonestown that day. They also issued orders for another woman who was living elsewhere in Guyana with her kids to kill herself and her children. It's three kids. And she worked with, I guess, the oldest kid to kill the younger two with a knife. And then the oldest kid helped her slip, the mom slip her throat. And then they killed the other kid. Freaking suicide everywhere. Um... And uh, what's interesting is, I guess, like whenever you start looking into what actually happened with these deaths. So I think his name was like Mutu or something like that. He was the first guy, the first um, doctor that came in and starts looking at these people. Like what the heck happened here? And this was the first of its kind. Nobody had seen something like this before in modern times. In fact, it was the worst mass death like rate in uh with like american citizens up until 9-11 so it's just insane they mutu goes through and looks at these bodies only seven autopsies are done so mutu isn't conducting autopsies but he's checking out just what happened with them and he estimated that 89 80 to 90 percent of the people killed there were murdered and it was just him alone that was like uh they came up with this number but he said uh the bodies that he inspected were about uh i think 100 adult bodies and 83 of them had needle needle punctures wow. behind their shoulders so it was clear that people were carrying out this mission um wow. yes yeah that's something i didn't know mm-hmm. i thought everybody just kind of drank the flavor aid laid down yeah what i thought yeah. But uh, no, that's what the media reported primarily, but not what actually happened. Yeah. So seven autopsies done, and be- like they didn't do really anything, any kind of preservation work at all. They just let the natural elements, which Guyana is the place where you don't want to leave dead bodies out because they will, like it's hot, it's humid, and it's going to just get rid of it, evidence immediately. Um so you don't have like a lot of proof of what happened there and even the evidence and samples that they did get a lot of them vanished on the way to the u.s just bye-bye 
the numbers reported dead. I think it was uh, Guy Guyana people. They counted it first. I think it was four four hundred and eight, but the numbers jumped in a really weird way. So it was four hundred and eight initially, and then it jumps to like seven hundred seventy five, then eight hundred, then eight sixty nine, then nine ten, then nine twelve, and then um, nine thirteen was the ultimate one, and that doesn't include the the mom and her kids. But, uh, so the numbers jumped really weird. Um, and, uh, what was it? Sorry. Oh, we'll never eat another donut. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, like it was just, it was just really weird what was going on. And I guess that's what leads me to just bundling this up and, if you go back to the purpose of Project Artichoke, it was controlling an individual to the point where he would do their bidding against his will and even against the fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation. And um, then you add it to the, could you create an assassin? And if you start this mission at about um, about the time that they that he started getting really weird and like into the drugs and stuff like that, he would have been around that age of thirty five that they were looking for to try to get that um, that uh, assassin created. And it says well educated, proficient in English, well established, and socially politically connected. And that's like that was that so. completely matched him. Yeah. Also, uh, Dr. Mutu uh, initially found these marks. Uh, later, it was uh, the findings were uh, inconclusive in that most of them did drink the flavoring, is what was found later. So, uh, Mutu never backed off his, uh, as I understand it, didn't back off his findings initially. The, the official quotes uh, report said, no, he was wrong about that. Let me, let me ask if you a clarifying question. Yes. What happened to Christine? Christine died. Okay. So, the way we know... She said these things because it's on video or that were Yeah, it's yeah, they have a death tape where you can listen to it. And that's what you heard. Mm -hmm. And you could hear all these people dying. Yes. Did it give you nightmares? Uh, no. no, she didn't sleep. No, yeah, I, like it was, it was kind of like a weird sleep where I knew that I slept that night, but I felt like I was thinking about it the entire night. Well, you know, it's one of those things like Hitler. I don't like thinking about those those type things, and um, you made me think about them today. All right, so so basically, there this has all the earmarks of a, of, a, of a artichoke, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, you're saying it. I thought you were going to say Russian collusion. Uh, <laughs> it has earmarks of film. It does. It has some strange things that, you know, the Brazil, I didn't know he went to Brazil and yet lived a year, and that there's reports that the uh, U.S. consulate delivered groceries to his home. I didn't know that. It's, it's also weird. Uh, so, um, like, very shortly after all of this happened, before any kind of reports about exactly how people died or anything like that came out, um, I think this happened on November 17th, November 19th, the CIA radioed a report of a mass suicide. 
at Georgetown. And so the CIA really wouldn't have had a reason to know that. Unless they were watching. Or even, um, yeah, exactly. Or even like be able to, like, even if they knew a bunch of people died, they wouldn't be able to say it was a suicide at that point. That's true. Yeah. So, So this wire guy, he just comes back to the United States and walks? Yes. Yeah. Didn't, didn't even Ray Epps. No, not even Ray Epps. He just went back to work. That was it. Yeah, and so he good job, of, guy. They pat him on the back. He went back to the CIA. He gave an interview. Like I, I read the whole thing about like uh, I guess his experience with all of this. Um, and he does get pissed off that people would try to connect him to the CIA. Um, but if you were in the CIA, you didn't want it to Thou come out. Thou dost protest too much. 918 I mean, the, deaths. The, the fact that he walks away. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they, there's also, you know, the connection with Dan Mintertrone. I can't pronounce his name, sorry. Was, he was a uh, childhood friend of Jim Jones mm-hmm. uh, and on the police department. And uh, happens to show up and say, hey, dude, I didn't know you were in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And he was a CIA. Uh, uh, also, why did Jim Jones have a CIA file before any of this happened? And they have a file and they never I explained it. I would have had a file on him. Mm-hmm. That, that, someone was doing that, I would have, I'd have done something. And, 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 and Dwyer was there. And, but now, if I'm getting this right... The only person who walked away from this, that's including the congressional entourage, the only one who walked away from it is Dwyer. Uh, no, uh, no, there, there are other people. Okay, so there's a funny story about like a, an elderly woman who I, I guess she kind of walked in on what was going on with the white knight and said, no, I'm not doing that. So she went back to her room, kind of hid a little bit. She just said, I fell asleep. Then I woke up the next day and they were like dead bodies. Yeah, there were survivors. So people hid, but you had to hide. Like you had to actively try to escape it. Um, and I mean, like for instance, the, the people that were the airstrip, they were trying to escape. Um, there was a father with his kids and during the shooting, he had his kids run off to the jungle. And these kids were terrified because they'd grown up at this point hearing about how dangerous the jungle was. So they went and hid in the jungle and it wasn't until like a few days later that they found them. Um, well, that's an experiment. They know that they can get mass. Yeah. So that's where I think, yeah, I think that that's kind of where, um, what I'm seeing here. Oh, wait, can I just read this quote really, really deep? I finally found it. And I think that this woman needs to be named because she's such a bastard woman. They're not crying from pain. She's talking about kids. They're not crying from pain. It's just a little bitter tasting. It's not, they're not crying out of any pain. And that's Maria Katsaris or something talking about giving cyanide to children. Did she take it? I don't know about her. I hope so. Uh, yeah. Um, there is like a mystery tape that people talk about of like a, so there's a recording after all the recordings were supposed to have ended, but people don't think that that was connected to any of this. Like, I don't know, but it could be, that would just be another theory. Um, like it could have just been like somebody who accidentally took her tape recording or. I, I don't think that had much credibility. I didn't, yeah, yeah, I didn't either. Um, that, that it was like Jim Jones survived and he is entourage. Well, or there is, there there's is. Always, there's always that. Thing. There's yeah. a conspiracy that he was replaced with a body double Elvis, sent to Israel. Yeah, Elvis is still alive. Yeah. Epstein's still alive. And that, that he's not alive though because he was killed in Israel. <laughs> all right, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I, yeah, I want to ask it all a way off. 
it's going to come out of left field. But, okay. but if you have more to say, I'd rather you go ahead and say No, 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 you got it. I, I, you know, growing up again, I've said this on this podcast before we had round tables. We didn't even wear butt round tables. And that was because I wanted a conversation with our kids. And one of the things I just completely would, would put into their minds is that when something bad happens, I'm not saying you're always at fault. However, you need to look what your side of it was. You don't, you can fix what you did. You can't usually fix what someone else did, but what's your responsibility in this? So I don't ever want to say that a parent is responsible for their kid doing something this horrible. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's him, right? Right. But everything that Sarah described to me shows that these two people were the worst parents possible. He's killing cats. He's he's doing things to make himself weird. He's doing things that that will sort of set off all kind of alarms in a, in a parent's mind if they were paying attention just a little bit. You see what I'm saying? And they let that kookiness go. I think that's why we're seeing mass shootings and stuff. I think these parents aren't doing their job. Okay, I think mass shootings have a different root cause. And it has to do with the fact that young men are basically being told that, you know, if you don't have this certain type of lifestyle, then you're useless. And uh, I think that's part of it. But you're right about well, I mean, the other it, part. It doesn't matter why the parent. All right, where it started really making me think about this was Columbine. Wait, I, I was, was going, no, that's what I was about to bring up. Dylan, right. Dylan Klebold and his mom. His mom is horrible. She like she comes off like she. It's very similar to Jim Jones's mom, where she comes out later with these books and these interviews and stuff like that, and talks about like oh, I was such a good parent. I don't know what happened. He was such a sweetheart. It must have been this other kid. Um, Eric that caused all of this and so you can definitely see in real life her um, her behavior of coddling her child's horrible weird behavior I would have found out they were doing that mm. there's no doubt about that Sarah, Sarah and, and, I found out everything they did I agree with you James <laughs> I also will agree that there's other people who went through the almost the exact same thing Jim Jones did and didn't do what he did oh no no I said that I said that it's not that's because the CIA wasn't involved in their lives it's true but, uh, but not, well, this is what I'm saying Glenn it, it's still your responsibility there are people oh, yeah. who have had horrible parents that overcame all right. But it wasn't because their parents were horrible that they overcame. You're increasing the odds your <laughs> yeah. kids are going to do something bad. Yeah. And I will also say in some of those cases, at least many I've read, where the uh, they had the horrible parents and then this person overcame it, there was usually one and sometimes one encounter that, with somebody who did care. Who did say no? You're worth it. No, don't worry. That's you know. How many times you and I've done that at restaurants? We could tell one of the waiter or waitresses is they'll they'll say something that you could tell that they might give them a courage word. They're they're and and that so that's what I would say to our audience. Don't ever underestimate your encouraging words to people. Mm-hmm. They you, you think they're unheard, but they come back. I you know I've said this before. It's like small straws on a camel's back. 
they build up and eventually they break it. Now the inverse is true. Oh, so that's where small the camel's back comes from. I think so, but I'm not sure. But you can also, that's my interpretation, but you can also say small encouragements lift someone up beyond what their circumstances are. Ah, go ahead. Oh, I, um, whenever you mention that too, like I watch a lot of guys who, uh, like guy YouTubers, I hate girls. Like I usually don't like watching girls, but, um, it's interesting because I think even even like Catholic women stuff, I don't like watching it. I, I prefer listening to guys talk, but um, the they like almost every guy that I've watched has at some point mentioned how guys take compliments, like even the smallest compliments, it'll live with them forever. And so um, that that's something that I feel like people like it's it's insane how we have an in society who's who's aimed at built, like breaking men down when all you need is like one good word of encouragement and who, who knows how far that and that's why down. a lot of men thrive in the military when i was when i was in high school i think i've told you this story before i didn't want to get i liked basketball but i did suck at it and i got cut it's the only time i've ever been cut from something i wanted to be in. i went back to that coach and i begged him i said look yeah, you don't have to play me or anything. I just want to want to be on the team like Rudy, right? Mm -hmm, right. And he said, "Well, I have shorts. I got a jersey. I don't have shorts." And he gave me women's shorts. They were a little shiny, um, but I did it anyway. Well, grades, conduct. By the end of the season, we're down to seven or eight people on the team, and we're playing a game, and we're within a point or two. Well. It, they put me in the game. Now I suck. I'm not any good. All right. And so the other team, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to foul me. Well, so we get a timeout, and that coach goes, looks at it, he goes, after James makes these free throws, this is what we're going to do. And he looked at me, and he goes, I'm not, he said, I'm not kidding you. I've watched you warm up. You're the best free throw shooter on this team. Huh. I nailed four of them. Wow. wow. Straight in a row. He put that basketball goal was 10 feet wide. Mm -hmm. And it was all because Coach Bass said, you can do this. Yep. We'll do this. Not can. You're going to. Yeah, you're the guy that can do this. Yeah. And and I did it. And, and, it, and you know, it made the papers the next day, I'm sure, because Coach told yeah. him to say that. Sucked at it. I was, I was even that day, I still wanted to go. But I want to tell you something. That, that, that year, I, I did nothing but shoot baskets. Mm-hmm. And ended up ended up being a starter in all, all district later. Yes, you must give praise when it's due. When it's due, that's yeah, important. Say, but you got, there's fine line. Don't be his mom. But he gave me a reason. Lunetta. You said I've seen you practice free throws. You make more free throws than anybody else I've seen. You're the, you're the guy I want there. He was serious. Mm -hmm. I could tell he was serious. Yeah. And so yeah, it's amazing. So going back to that. It would have. He, they they put him in a track that MK Ultra or, or Artichoke could come after him. Um, the father has no excuse. I know he was hurt. I know he was sickly, but you have to still take care of those children first. Mm -hmm. And I had some very bad years, you know, because Glenn was there to pick me up from them. But I never ever let it affect my children. I can bet you she could tell you she barely knew that stuff was going on. Uh, you know, you protect them. And you, but if Sarah got, got out of line, she'll tell you, brought her back. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And and I and I'm not saying I'm a great parent. 
I would say that's what parents used to do. It makes you sound good now because no one's willing to do it. But what do we do now? Well, I mean, it happened back then. That's the thing that scares me. I will, like, How uh, long has this been going on? I will say as far as the dad goes to, um, I agree that he, he probably shouldn't have just, they shouldn't have had a kid, really. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, but... And that's he, what they did. It probably then. wasn't his kid in the first place, you know. Yeah, it not. They, they didn't bear a lot of similarity in yeah. looks, if y'all know what I mean. Yeah, not a lot was going on with the, those two, but um, if, I do agree, like, if, if you're going to have a kid in that situation, then you have to stop being selfish. And, and I know that it's kind of difficult to walk a line between being injured and selfish, but... And in war. Yeah. You've come out of war. I, that's I, why war is... I, 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 I agree with you. See, again, I'm telling you to examine yourself. Mm-hmm. I know this is bad for me, mm-hmm. but I got a kid. And, I'm, you know. and, and, and I get it, but I think that's... You know, as people who have probably... Uh, have raised their children well... Um, and most, I think our whole audience probably has. Yeah, well, that's because I'm including myself. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that it, it's simplistic to say parents just need to buck up because I don't know that that's going to help the people who are out there suffering now mm-hmm. from bad parents or good parents or well, whatever. Uh, yeah, but that's what I said. Down from your own side, I don't think anybody's to blame, really, other than Jim Jones. And CIA. I, I agree. Even the CIA. Yeah, he, he, shouldn't have, he shouldn't have done those things. That's true. Yeah, he killed that cat. But, but if you look at what the actual mission of Project Artichoke was, it was to take somebody either willing or unwilling he killed that cat. You're right. He killed the cat, and he threw a dog out the window. So yeah, screw that guy. Well, yeah, but hey, hey, there again, society failed him. No question. Yeah, and and I do think there's, and I just my dealing with young people for so many years in my business, and I'm talking literally. I have done thousands of interviews of young people who are teenagers, and there is just a group of people who decide at some point, and it's usually around 15, 16, what my experience has been, they say, yeah, I'm going to be a criminal. Or, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Uh, that you got to see that scene in, in Highwaymen. That is, is Clarence, I mean, the Barrow, is Barrow, is that what I say? Clyde's dad mm-hmm. um, talking to the guy that was tracking down his son. It, it's, it's, a psychologist probably wrote that scene. Probably. I was right. burning grilled cheese sandwiches while y'all were watching. I know. I, to I was that. thinking about that. I was hoping <laughs> turn the bottom. But no, here's here's the thing. That I want to make sure you know. I never ever when my with my kids ever let them blame a teacher. Never let them blame friends. You you did it. Now, if I listen to the story and I did do this, she didn't know this. They know it now. If I found out the teacher was doing something that was wrong, I would get all of my kid on their part. I don't care. This is all about learning. You're going to have bosses like this. Deal with it. Right. Then I would go to that teacher and tell him I'm about to scalp you. You know, <laughs> not not literally, but figuratively. And I, we, I had one. I got onto her. She quit at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Not going to put up with that. But 
my kids never knew that. The next thing I want to say is, Sarah said something, bullying sometimes can be good. What she was really trying to say, she was being silly. Thank you for clarifying. What she was trying to say was, peer pressure can't be. Mm-hmm. Peer pressure right. should have stopped that kid. It's, it's like, whenever you talk about uh, social cues, I remember that was something that you were very focused on me learning as a kid because you recognized that was a flaw that I had. Um, where, Read the room. Yeah. Yes, so exactly. Focused. Right. And so it was you as a parent who was guiding me that way. And then I was also, like, with Katie and Jim and Doc, they wouldn't want to hang out with me whenever I was behaving a certain way and yes sometimes it it turned into like laughing at me and stuff like that and it sucks whenever you're going through at the time but then you kind of as you get a good parental guidance of this is what's going on and you're you were legitimately trying to help me through that and then you see how your peers behave towards you whenever you act that way you start thinking about okay whenever I do this behavior it's not good like it's there's a reason it's bad and then you can also like later on find out why it's bad right and um so like anything, though, there's bad peer pressure, there's good peer pressure. You're as a parent you're supposed to watch to see who her peers are. Mm-hmm. But but peer pressure, if you were my friend and I saw you were doing something really bad, I left. Mm-hmm. You were, I wasn't going to be around. That was peer pressure on those kids. And one of them, I, we've since reunited with you. His, he 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 got it. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I you know again, it took some some thinking on the part of a parent. What well, should I intervene here? Should I not? Should I nudge or what? But what I'm getting at is this: I believe that his parents failed him, and I believe that his peers failed him. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you had to do the South Cameron method of beating them up, but you do have to give. You do as a peer have to go. No, listen, man, this guy's weird. We, you know. Right, yeah. right, and now, now he didn't play basketball. He hung around with the basketball team because there were blacks on him. Is that what you said? Uh, no, he wouldn't play on the basketball team because he didn't like to lose. I know, but he hung around with the team. You said. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hung out with. The, I'm sorry. I was reading something whenever you said that. Yes, he hung out with the team um, with some of the black guys on the team. Is it bad not to want to lose? It is if it's I think that I think yeah. I think if you're not willing to even play, you're not willing to try. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't want to lose. That means, like, okay, that's, if you equate uh, losing with failing, then you're going to fail in life. You can't. You well, can't I never that. taught that to my kids to win. See, see, even even with the law practice, I went when I got out. I had the wrong idea of what we were doing. I thought it was a fight. I thought it was, you know, um, that type of thing. When I realized that it's a that it's a really noble profession, and that you're helping people. If you if you look at it that way, that there's your colleagues who are helping their clients. And I'm a colleague helping my client, and I'm putting my client's interests first. But I realized that I'm going to deal with these other men and women over and over and over again. It became fun practicing law, mm-hmm. and yeah. and and that same thing. Ha- but it, but if I if you don't try cases though, you're not really helping your client. And so I see what she's getting at now. He he was debilitating about focused on winning and losing. And he, so much that he couldn't even compete. That's bad. I got it. I yeah. got it. I got what happened. Um, well, yeah. anything else to add? Well, I just, I, you know, can I just summarize what my theory is? I really haven't seen a summary on it. And that's why I kind of built up all of this, like this specific conspiracy theory. Because you'll see it like kind of connected to MK Ultra, but I'm saying artichoke. Um, I like artichoke. Yeah, I think artichoke's big. Uh, so it's from the way that I see it. 
is um, he was already a really weird person and he already wanted, he had this dream of getting the same love and affection as Pentecostal preacher or pastors, whatever they are. Um, gets into communism. That's whenever he first gets uh, on the government's list of concerning people. They keep an eye on him and see whatever progress he's able to make. He's able to make some progress as far as getting people to start attending his meetings and stuff like that. So that's whenever uh, they get involved in his life, whenever he starts getting on drugs and um, using him as a puppet to start manipulating these people. Then um, their secret projects start kind of crashing and burning. So they have to, like, this is the one that's gotten the furthest. So they're like, uh, based on what they said in Artichoke, we need more control over the situation and stuff like that. So they get their puppet to move as many puppets as he can to Guyana to continue the experiment outside of the now prying eyes of people like Congressman Ryan and um, continue with the experiment as long as possible. But then Ryan says, I'm going to go investigate this. Well, now it's time to actually implement Project Artichoke and see if what they've been working on as far as using drugs and manipulation, right. mind control, um, they they don't do it. It's not a complete success, though. And I think that's the whole issue here is that they ended up having to murder a lot of people. But there were still parents who were willing to go against the fundamental laws of their nature, such as self-preservation, and kill their children and themselves. And then you also have um, the ability of them to use, uh, what's his name, Jim Jones, as uh, an assassin. So those are two different points in Project Artichoke that they were able to carry out. And also, Dwyer was the guy who was keeping an eye on him in Guyana. And even the FBI was like, how the hell did you you not know that this was going on, like, in Jonestown? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And, like, they were also confused about why the DOS didn't know about all of this while it was in America, like, sooner. Um, And so I think that that's what Dwyer's uh, role in it was, is he had more control over it. Also, if you look up Richard Dwyer, he is not the um, an ice skating show star in Legend. That's a different Richard Dwyer. He's not the new age guy. That guy's something else. Wayne Dyer. No. no. Right. Do, you want, do you have anything you want to say? No, I think that was a great summary. It's a great summary. I want to say this, that I'm about to be, Sarah's already ordered the book, about to order me a copy of Goring. Goring. Yes, I have it. It's going to go into some of the psychology of how the German people fell in behind Hitler. We didn't really get into that part of it, and I don't think that's what today's show was about. I want to know, why do masses of people follow an idiot? A clear idiot. If you take what they say and read it, didn't look at them, you'd know, you'd go, that's idiotic. Um. Mm -hmm. I, I, I am not saying that I believe this, not at all, but I had a person who was, came up in the Pentecostal church who now hates the Pentecostal church. And he said, it's not all Pentecostal churches. So we're going to say that, mm-hmm. but that certain pastors can use that religion to take people with low IQs and get them to do anything, give them money. Anything. I would I would contend that it's harder to do low IQ and it's much easier to do high IQ. Well, he made a pretty good he has a high IQ and he made a pretty good 
I'm sure, let me tell you something. I think that a high IQ person would be subject to a different type of mesmerization. Right. I agree. And I think humans may be the what, the, what we need to put in there. What's up about this situation is he, he seemed to be specifically targeting black communities, but they were not treated equally, and he just put them in more poverty. And even whenever you look at his uh, top people in his organization, it was white people. So like, it's almost like he was attracting people who wanted to be abused. Mm-hmm. Now, but I want to make sure I want to finish this thought because I don't want this podcast to get out there and make something, say something I didn't need to say. Even the person who told me that said it's not Pentecostal churches. What he's saying though is that people will use whatever they have at their disposal. Religion can be one of them. It can be communism. It can be, uh, we know this, that there are people out there who treat climate change as a religion. Oh yeah. Uh, that there's ways to get people to do it. But we, I'm amazed that he got that, got them to do that. But now I understand that had I been stupid enough to go to Guyana and, and they, he gave a good reason, nuclear war coming, this is the place to go. We were very concerned about that at the time. I went down I there and I found us a place. Uh, oh well. All right, guys. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Thank yeah, you, Lynn. That's fine. Um, you know, is there anything you can think of bring me back up? Because I'm down now. I tell you, <laughs> I tell you, I've got it right here in a thermos right now. Some PJ's coffee. Uh, and for those of you in our audience, if you go to the PJs in Houghton, you can bring yourself up and uplift your spirits, your uh, awareness, and in a wonderful environment, peaceful, and everybody is very friendly there. And you can get uh, do they wow. Kool Aid? They do not. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. They, yeah, they don't serve that, and they don't serve flavor aid either. Okay. Yeah. No flavor aid or Kool Aid there, but you can get boosted teas. Uh, wonderful all-natural Red Bull, uh, pastries of every kind that you can ever want, chocolate croissant is to die for, and uh, breakfast sandwiches, lunch sandwiches, zaps, chips, in a wonderful environment. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You know, you got a phone call and we're, we're ready to go. Thank you, guys. That was fun. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Could you tell I was prepared? Yeah.